0: The lesson is from Galatians three fifteen through 29. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. And to your offspring, who is Christ, this is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions of you, as were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: As we hear in Galatians today, even if we desperately want to, we fall short. Even if we desperately want to, we fall short. Scholar uh, Scott Keith calls the law our spiritual hitman, right? That this spiritual hitman reveals the truth in us and about us. And when it does that, it leads us somewhere. In, uh, uh, in the evenings, my family and I, we often like to watch a show together at the end of the day. Maybe you do too. And uh, occasionally when we're not watching uh, you know, a superhero movie or Star Wars, uh, my uh, family and kids are especially are kind to Joy and I to let us pick out a documentary. And we've been doing that this week. And we have been devouring this raw and sometimes painful-to-watch documentary about the uh, fateful fraud by Bernie Madoff some years ago, right? Some of you remember it in the news. And uh, this, uh, this swindler took, we now know, $19 billion of people's money and promised to be investing it on their behalf, but instead using it for his own gain and not investing it at all. And he was able to keep this scheme going for decades. That is until the market dropped out and more people asked for uh, cash back than he had cash on hand. Now, he had a lot. He had $300 million, but they were asking for $1.5 billion. Uh, to be returned to them. And this kind of cold and calculated individual uh, said, uh, and it's such an understatement when it comes to all the lives that were impacted or ruined or even lives lost because of this fraud, he said, well, I knew then that he couldn't cover it. The game was up, he said. Now, you and I might think to ourselves, I don't fall that short, right? I'm not as bad as Bernie Madoff, right? I, my, the, the, the gap between what I need to pay and what I can't pay can't be uh, billions, right? But the truth is that we hear in the Galatians today that the curse of the law cannot be kept by you or I. That that gap is just as grand. The law is a curse," the Apostle Paul writes. Or a scholar, Scott Keith, really riffing off of what Luther would write about this, says, "It's a spiritual hitman. You go to that second slide for me, Kyle. The uh, spiritual hitman isn't just isn't just... A spiritual hitman, though. It does show us that we are wholly incapable of justifying ourselves. But it also becomes a spiritual midwife that leads us, or as Luther will later say, uh, is the specialist that brings us to the gospel. Right? And so, this finished work of Christ is God's work. It's his promise. That gulf that we cannot cross, those billions that we can never pay back, even if we wanted to, even if he wanted to, Madoff could never cross that gulf. Even if he had the 19 billion, he couldn't because he couldn't overcome the damage that he'd done to the lives that were touched. And just like he couldn't, we can't. We can't overcome this gulf And why would we want to when the promise comes to us from the finished work of Christ? And this is what the Apostle Paul is saying to the Galatians. Why are you trying to do what you can't do yourselves? Why are you moving from freedom to falling back to where you once were? And he says the same thing to us. Why do we keep trying to do it ourselves? Andrew Doss, a scholar in the book of Galatians, writes that there are really two questions, two fundamental questions being asked in this letter to the Galatians and to the church now. The first is, how am I saved? How am I made right with God? And the second is, well then, how shall I live? In the first four chapters of Galatians, Paul answers that first question. He keeps hammering it away, and there's a reason why he spends most of the letter on that first question because he doesn't want us to think that how we then shall live is the reason why we're saved. And so we are going to continue to coming back to this first question, these first four weeks. But those of you, like I said earlier, who have been worried about, well, how am I supposed to live then? Wait, we're going to get to chapter 5, I promise. But have you noticed that rules don't create behavior. Have you noticed that rules and laws do not create behavior? We need them to reveal that which we should not do or that which we did, but they don't create behavior. I mean, everybody doesn't follow the rules just because they exist, right? Whether they're on a gigantic scale like the fraud I just talked about or murder or whatever it may be about protecting life to even the small things. Let's face it. You've probably got rules in your home that you don't even meet. I mean, come on. uh, Haven't you heard? Why didn't you put the clothes in the hamper? Why do they go on the floor right next to the hamper? Come on, right? All of us. Whether the rule is small or big, we fall short all the time. And we need to hear this promise, this word from the Lord in Galatians, this word for the church then and the church now, that it's by what Christ has done, not what I've done, but we easily get that mixed up. I mean, we, one of the reasons why we and our culture like to celebrate my truth and talk about my truth, oh, uh, that, that's, and your truth for you is fine, but there's my truth, and, and we can easily, easily acknowledge each other's truth, and that's just fine. But we like to do that because all the while, all the while, then it helps us sidestep the truth. That's reading us. That's the spiritual hitman that's bringing us as then the midwife to the good news of the gospel. And so we need the law to bring us to the gospel. And we cannot sidestep it with my truth or your truth. It must be the truth, God's word. It's easy for us to be really mad at those persons who don't follow my truth. Or the rules that I seem to be able to do well with. Or I'm able to accomplish. And then we get mad at those who don't do those rules. But then easier still for us to look past those things that we struggle with. And we have trouble keeping. Or if when that law reads us, that spiritual hitman reads us and we... uh, Uh, If finally the game is finally up, it could either lead us to despair and depression if we're basing it on our ability to keep it. The truth that keeps getting revealed in Galatians is that if you try to save yourself by following the law, you will always fall short. And this is not a new plan. God's plan for salvation, for His relationship with you, with humanity, has always been by His promise. By His promise. Go to that fourth slide for me, Kyle. It's always by His promise. Paul gives us an example of that in Abraham. Abraham. Notice, he points out that Abraham was a recipient of the covenant, a relationship, sealed relationship with God. Not because of how good Abraham was. After all, Abraham's life didn't always measure up. I mean, I know it may have been more of a norm in that day and age, but still, I mean, it's a little creepy. He was married to his half-sister, right? Right? And then, when he went to the places that God called him to, he thought he needed to protect himself by, instead of telling the leaders that it was his wife, that, oh yeah, yeah, she's my sister. Sure. Creepier and worse still, right? And then, when God's promise would come to them, the promise of ancestors, Abraham thought he could just help it along. God needs my help to keep this promise, I'm sure. So he slept with his servant, Hagar. And that did not work out so well. He needed to wait by faith on the promise of God. And so the promise that God gave Abraham wasn't based on his goodness or behavior, but based on what God was doing for him. In fact, Apostle Paul Make note, that's what that note about 430 years is. That the law didn't come until later, after the promise had already been given. So surely, uh, Abraham did not receive the promise by his execution of the law. God's promise came first in creation, and then to Abraham, and then now, as we look back, we see in Christ It is not a, as one uh, pastor on a podcast rift, not a fruit check to see what good work is coming from you, but rather, I'll call it a promise check. Have you received this promise? And what is baptism? As we hear in this text, it's nothing more than God's promise for you. An objective reality that made all the difference for Luther in his spiritual battles. When he felt the weight of his own sin on his shoulders, he would uh, bark back at the devil. Oh yeah, I am a sinner, what of it, but I am baptized. I've received the promise of God. That's who I am. The promise comes first. And it has, from the beginning of creation... Until now, fulfilled ultimately in Christ. The promise comes first. It does the work that we cannot, the gulf that we cannot cross. Robert Kolb, a Greek scholar, later this week will be releasing a book called Alien and Proper. In part, in its title, inspired by the commentary by Luther on this book of Galatians. And he writes... There in relation to our creator. We freely receive our alien righteousness. From Christ. Who's obtained it for us. Through the death and resurrection. Alien. It's not ours. It's Christ. He gives it to us. His promise. Like it was first for Abraham. Is first for us. It's the promise. It's the work of Christ. That meets that gulf. And so. I know, I feel it too, but what am I supposed to do? That's that next question just keeps sneaking up on us, right? write, in relation to humanity and God's created order, we practice a proper righteousness. What he means is what happens, and we'll hear in chapters five and six, how we'll live. And that will come. In fact, in the first Few centuries of the church's history, Christians, as one pastor put it, were often considered on the wrong side of history. Don't we hear that a lot these days, right? Are you on the right side, wrong side of history? Christians were considered on the wrong side of history as people who were living by this promise. The work of Larry Hurtado, a historian, uh, reveals some of this. These first Christians were called into this kind of unique, as one author put it, unique social project that both offended and attracted some, right? The way they lived. They, they in this Roman world, this first century Roman world, had all kinds of different practices that didn't make sense. The way that they would welcome the outcast the way that they would reject idol worship and therefore reject being part of certain business practices. Christians forbade uh, abortion and and condemned the practice of infant exposure, which was very popular then, and even welcoming those infants to care for them, not allowing them to simply be thrown out. Christians were thought of as weird at the time for their countercultural sexual ethics. They were strange in their generosity, especially to the poor. They were considered on the wrong side of history in those first centuries of their existence. And yet, before we can dive deeper into this fruit, we need to talk about the seed that's planted first. First. This fruit will blossom when that faith is planted. But let's talk about the seed, which is faith. The promise that comes from Jesus. This gift. You can take a deep sigh of relief. It's not about you crossing that gulf or about what you do. It's about what God proclaims and says you are for all those who receive this promise in Christ. A child of God. Not because of your works. Not because of even your human identity. Back in the first century, there was a popular prayer that Jewish men would pray. I'm going to paraphrase it. It would go something like this. A Jewish man would pray, I'm so glad I was born a male and not a woman. I'm so thankful, God, that I was born Jewish and not a barbarian. I'm so grateful, God, I was born free and not a slave. Notice how the Apostle Paul responds to that prayer in the text here, where he says, In Christ, in Christ. These distinctions may be not erased, but in Christ, in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male and female. All are one at the foot of the cross. All come not by our social status, whatever it may be in any culture, not by our works not by anything other than the promise of God. Now this passage will certainly impact Christians in the social world and do beautiful things in the the centuries that will follow since Paul wrote this. But don't miss his first point. That there's nothing that we possess that bring us Into a right relationship with God, it's all about His promise. I am baptized. I am a child of God. It's His objective promise, not my subjective work. At the level, at the foot of the cross, all come by the promise. All come by the promise. Gerhard Fierty talks about this promise. Go to that last slide if you would, Kyle. That this promise, this sacrament in baptism is an action in which the Word of God does something to us, uses an earthly sign, but it's an action of God that gets through to us on a concrete level. This sacrament, this Word, this promise is For you. It's got your name on it, he says. You're baptized into Christ. He made you, he knows you by name. This promise is for you. So, friends, maybe you feel the gulf between what you have and how God's calling you to live. Maybe you feel like it's billions. Or maybe just millions. But that curse of the law does not lead us in Christ to despair. For all those in Christ, it takes us to the gospel. It takes you and me to the promise. Regardless of our status, Regardless of what we've done. All those who receive this promise. Receive. This good news. Put on Christ. This is your identity. So I invite you today. If you are baptized. To remember you are baptized. This is who you are. If you're not yet baptized. Then come to. This font of grace. Come. To Christ and receive this promise anew. Come to Jesus. It's for you. Put on Christ. This is the identity. This is the promise he's had from the beginning of time until now. Fulfilled finally in Christ. For you. Amen.